Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today, we will unlock the book, What It Takes, Lessons in the Pursuit of Excellence. Stephen Schwartzman, the author of this book, spent two years drafting it personally. He shares his investment and entrepreneurial experience with the reader, as well as his philosophy on life. Schwartzman's salary is estimated at between $700 million to $800 million a year, so he claims that the book itself is worth $1.5 billion. Is he bluffing or telling the truth? Let's get digging and find out. We need to start with Schwartzman's background. He is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of the Blackstone Group. He holds a bachelor's degree from Yale University and a master's degree in business administration from Harvard Business School. He has been called the king of capital and Wall Street's man of the moment by the mainstream media. We can also take a brief look at the aforementioned Blackstone Group. Blackstone was founded in 1985 by Schwartzman and Peter Peterson with a startup cost of $400,000. Peterson was the Secretary of Commerce and the chairman and CEO of Lehman Brothers. Blackstone's name comes from the meaning of Schwartzman in German and the meaning of Peterson in Greek. Blackstone is now both the world's largest private equity asset management company and real estate management company. As of the third quarter of 2019, Blackstone had more than $550 billion in funds under management, nine times the per capita profit of Goldman Sachs, an average investment return of more than 30% over the past 30 years, and more than 70% of the top 50 companies and pension funds in the United States have Blackstone's investments. If you want to know more about Blackstone in detail, check out our bookie on King of Capital. What it takes is as much a book about investment management as it is a book about successful entrepreneurship. It is also a philosophical exercise. No one succeeds easily, and Schwartzman's story is rife with twists and turns. His success can't be replicated by everyone, but the lessons in his book can benefit anyone. Next, we will unlock the key content of what it takes in three parts. Part 1, Schwartzman's Views on Life. Part 2, Schwartzman's Entrepreneurial Philosophy. Part 3, Schwartzman's Management Principles. Part 1, Schwartzman's Views on Life. Let's start with the first part. Schwartzman's Views on Life. The first piece of advice he shares with the reader is to figure out who we are and position ourselves as early as possible. The sooner we do it the better, so we can pursue the opportunities that are right for us, not some false dream created by others. Schwartzman enrolled at Yale because he was good at sprinting. Yale's coach at the time was Bob Gijengak, who had coached the U.S. Olympic team the year before. But in Schwartzman's view, Gijengak was an uninspiring coach, and the teammates on the track and field team were aloof. Schwartzman believed that he would lose his running potential and motivation if he continued the track training, so he decided to give it up. Although track and field once shaped him, he knew in his heart that it no longer suited his needs. People don't always make the right choices. Getting up his track pursuits was Schwartzman's way of minimizing wasted time. This is also a method an investor will take when they make a bad investment decision. Stopping loss in time allows them to limit their losses to a certain extent. In this manner, you can have more money, or in Schwartzman's case, more energy to do the things that can guarantee you larger success down the line. 
In our daily lives, stopping loss in time might mean slipping away from a dull dinner party to go home and prepare a presentation you need for the next day or ending a relationship that's going nowhere. On our introspective journey, we can also consult seasoned individuals for advice. It's better to ask for the opinions of those who have already made it through the same trials and tribulations, rather than facing them all blindly by yourself. When Schwartzman graduated, he had no idea what to do next, so he wrote a letter to Avril Harriman and scored an opportunity to meet with him. Harriman graduated from Yale in 1913 and was one of the wise men of American diplomacy, as well as a former governor of New York. After this meeting, Schwartzman realized that he needed to make a considerable amount of money to turn his valuable dreams into reality. Finance thus became Schwartzman's first choice of occupation. Schwartzman majored in culture and behavior at Yale University, a relatively niche subject and unrelated to finance and the economy, which led to his weak subject knowledge. Before leaving Yale, Schwartzman applied to graduate school. His first choice was law school, but his application was rejected, so he applied to Harvard Business School instead. When he was accepted, Schwartzman thought this might be the path to wealth recommended by Harriman, so he gladly took it. However, in Schwartzman's view, Harvard Business School's graduate program was unrealistic and outdated in theory and could not meet his learning needs. To this day, he believes that the best way to learn something is to simply do it. The book Outliers, which we've unlocked before, also points out that it took the Beatles three years of grinding away in the local gig scene before they could transform themselves into a global act. As a young man, Bill Gates also spent a great deal of time practicing programming on computers before writing software for the first personal computers. Similarly, people who achieve success in finance must start from the bottom up to master basic professional skills. After graduating from Harvard Business School, Schwartzman joined Lehman Brothers. His first assignment was to evaluate an offer from an aircraft seating manufacturer. Schwartzman drafted a 68-page report on the company's history and how its values had evolved. His analysis was based not just on stock price movements, but also the company's outlook, market trends, and other factors he considered relevant, with copious appendices and footnotes. Schwartzman felt so proud that he put the report in the middle of the supervisor's desk. A few hours later, he got a call from his supervisor, who only made two comments. The first was I got your memo and the second was there's a typo on page 56. Because of a single misplaced comma, Schwartzman's first assignment failed to be the praiseworthy effort he was hoping for. The lesson he learned from this experience was that in finance, every minute detail matters. This planted the seeds for Schwartzman's future pursuit of excellence. George Putnam, the treasurer of Harvard University, also gave a lecture to Schwartzman. At the time, Schwartzman was given the task of raising $100 million for the IPO of the Student Loan Marketing Association. He decided to make his first pitch at Harvard, which had the largest university endowment. Schwartzman met Putnam, the Harvard treasurer, as a junior bank manager. In a surprising twist, Putnam offered to teach Schwartzman how to start the meeting. He said to Schwartzman, Let's start this meeting over, Mr. Schwartzman. You say, Mr. Putnam, you're the treasurer of Harvard University, and I'm starting the largest, what will be the largest, student loan lending business in the United States, and I've got you down for $20 million. Now, say that. Schwartzman carefully repeated what Putnam had said. Then Putnam said, that's a great idea. I'm in for 20. 
It turned out that Putnam read the company's introduction before Schwartzman had even entered the room. He was not going to rely on Schwartzman's marketing performance to decide whether or not to give money but wanted Schwartzman to help him quickly decide how much to give. Putnam taught Schwartzman that investors are always looking for great opportunities, and the easier you make the process for them, the better off both parties will be. Similar reasoning applies in other fields. For example, when purchasing furniture, many people choose a design plan for a whole house where the seller has found professionals to match the full set of furniture. Consumers can save time on matching couches, coffee tables, tables, chairs, or any other furniture. They only need to make a few simple decisions at the beginning. Another example is at a restaurant, some people prefer to order a set, which saves them time in choosing the main course, side dish, and soup. Figuring out who you are and learning by applying yourself are essential elements of self-growth. Success in a society that emphasizes social interaction depends on another lesson Schwartzman sums up, listening to others and solving problems for them. People are always concerned with their own problems, and if you can offer solutions to them, they will be willing to talk to you, no matter their rank or status. The more complex the problem and the fewer solutions available, the more valuable your advice is. According to Schwartzman, it's in those situations, where everyone is walking away with averted eyes, that the field clears, and the greatest opportunity awaits. Schwartzman's approach is to place himself in other people's shoes. He always chooses to listen first, before expressing his own opinion. Schwartzman would wait, pay attention to what the other person required, and then set about providing it to them. He says listening to what people say and observing how they say it helps him to decipher what he can do to help. If he can assist them with their problems, the rest will follow. Let's look at an example of this. Sam Zell is the founder of EOP, a company that managed a real estate investment trust. The company already had more than 100 million square feet of office space in nearly 600 buildings across the country, many of them in prime urban locations. Zell approached Blackstone and several other potential buyers, hoping to sell the company at the top. EOP's real estate was six or seven times larger than any previous Blackstone real estate deal. Schwartzman believed that targeting specific buyers in advance and pre-selling EOP properties before Blackstone lay hands on them was the only way to make a profit, but Zell disagreed. However, Schwartzman knew the other man well, and he identified Zell's true desire, he didn't care whether Blackstone prezzled or not as long as the price was right. Schwartzman raised his offer, and Zell agreed to Blackstone's pre-sell plan. At the final stage of the bidding process, only one firm was left to compete with Blackstone. In the last round of bids, the company offered something close to Blackstone, but they offered the bid with cash and equity. Schwartzman noted that Zell wanted to get out of the real estate market completely, trading decades of arduous work for a big payoff, and he did not want shares in another real estate company. Schwartzman came up with a more competitive offer, cash payment. This pleased Zell immensely. Schwartzman's attention and understanding of Zell's real needs helped them win the deal. Now, let's briefly review the first part. Schwartzman informs us that people need to figure out who they are as early as possible in life and position themselves to seize every opportunity available. At the same time, self-growth is inseparable from learning through application. In addition, actively listening to the needs of others and finding ways to solve their problems will pay off in the end. Today we are just sharing limited content. 
To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.